loves, and some people are really offended by, but it says when heaven meets earth like a sloppy, wet kiss. And I was just thinking about some different heaven meets earth moments and how messy they are. You know, Jesus told a story because the religious people were offended that he was hanging out with notorious sinners. And he told three stories actually in Luke 15, but the last one was about a young man who wanted his inheritance from his father early. And it says that when he received his inheritance, he went out and he squandered it on prostitutes and parties and wild living. And when the money eventually ran out, the friends left him. And he went and took up work in a pigsty and he wasn't even earning enough to pay for his own food. He couldn't even eat of the same food that the pigs were eating of. He was sleeping in the mud with the pigs. And it says eventually he came to his senses and he remembered that even the servants in his father's house had enough food to eat. And he began walking back home. And Jesus said while he was still a long way off, his father saw him in the distance and he ran to him. And while the prodigal son is giving his speech, the father cuts him off with an embrace. And the original language says that he kissed him repeatedly. And I can just imagine it. It's a sloppy embrace as the sun still smells like the perfume of the prostitute, the stench of the pig, maybe the smell of alcohol still on his breath. And the father wrapping him in an embrace and kissing his forehead repeatedly saying, this son, I thought he was dead. But now he's come home. Grab a robe. Put a ring on his finger. Prepare the fattened calf. We have to celebrate. I thought he was dead, but he's come home. There's nothing clean about that when heaven meets earth. Just thinking about the cross. There's nothing clean about the king of glory. God himself taking on our flesh. Carrying his cross to Calvary with a back cut open by the cat of nine tails and a crown of thorns upon his head, his face so bloodied and beaten, so marred that he didn't even bear the likeness of a human being. Nail piercings in his wrists and in his heels. They spit on him, they slapped him, they mocked him. There's nothing clean, there's nothing sterile about when heaven meets earth, when God meets us in our depravity, when he meets us in our utter unworthiness, when the light comes into the dark. So let yourself be offended by it. This is the scandal of the cross, the the beauty of the gospel. That a God who's infinitely powerful beyond all measure is also infinitely good and loved you while you were still his enemy and sent his son to die for you before you ever had a passing interest in him. Lord, we thank you for how heaven has kissed earth in Jesus Christ. We thank you for how you have embraced us in your love, for how you have bestowed adoption on us. You call us your sons and daughters. You clean us up. You put a robe on us. You put a ring on our finger. 
And you give us a rich inheritance, though we are utterly unworthy and undeserving. Imagine what it would have been like in the first century to be like Matthew, the tax collector, or Mary, the woman who had seven demons cast out. And you're so grateful for how Jesus loves you. But when you get in certain settings, people say, I can't believe he's got one of those in his midst. I can't believe he would hang out with that. And yet Jesus is willing to bear the strikes and the blows of their offensive words because he loves you so much. He's willing not only to to die for you, but to be seen with you, to call you his disciple, to bring you into his inner circle, to even call you his friend. Lord, we say thank you for the gospel. May we never forget. May we never forget. Lord, we say your love is better. May we be convinced your love is better than all the others. And Lord, we know we've sought love in the wrong place. I confess that I have sought love in all the wrong places. I've searched in the wrong places for meaning and significance. But Lord, we say everything is found in you. We ask for the ability to see more of your face tonight. May the same God who spoke, let there be light, cause the light of the gospel to shine in our hearts tonight, revealing your glory that rests in the face of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, show us Jesus tonight. Amen. All right, you guys can go ahead and grab your seat. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to jump straight in. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Whenever I get to Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians, I forget who said this to me, but go eat popcorn, and it's like so stuck in my head. I get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and I'm like, go eat popcorn. It's just help me remember the order that they come in. Um, Ephesians 3, starting verse 7, Paul writing this letter says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift. Everybody say gift. Yes. Of God's grace. That wasn't very convincing. By the, everybody say gift. Yes. Yes. Come on, do you guys believe that the gospel is a gift? Yes. Yes. Okay. Hopefully by the end of tonight we'll have a more rowdy response. <laughs> of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Everybody say boundless riches of Christ. Boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So famous historian, theologian N.T. Wright said this about the letter of Ephesus in general, and Paul is its author. He said, imagine Paul in prison in Ephesus. He's probably malnourished and short of sleep. He may well have suffered horrible illness, 
He will have certainly been beaten up by guards and perhaps other prisoners. He feels helpless and alone in the dark and damp with the smell of rot, excrement, and death all around him. Picture him then either scribbling away on a small sheet of papyrus, squinting for lack of light, or else hearing at last someone whispering through a slot in the door, talking to a visiting colleague and telling him what to put in a letter to one or more of the Central Asian churches. This is a far darker image than the usual, usual portraits of Paul, sitting peacefully at a desk, quill in hand, with a pensive look on his face, like Woodsworth uh, writing about daffodils. What Paul experienced in an Ephesian prison was not serenity, but searing hardship, not soothing tranquility, but brokenness and anxiety. So it is all the more remarkable that this is from the tumultuous period of Paul's career that we get from him, not only the letter to the Philippians, but also the letter to Philemon, the Colossians, and the circular letter we call the Ephesians. So it's one thing to regard the ministry of preaching the gospel as a gift when you're bearing all the benefits of it, right? And you're like sitting in comfort and peace. But it's a completely different thing to view being a servant of the gospel as a tremendous gift when you're suffering like this, right? right? Paul lists in other places the immense suffering that he had faced for the gospel. It's ridiculous. Like I haven't faced literally one of these things. He talks about being cut open his back five different times with lashes. He talks about being in prison more times than he can count. Shipwrecked, I think it's like three times. I'm like, I've never been shipwrecked one time. But I would think that one time would be sufficient, right? And he's been stoned, left for dead, lowered in a basket through a hole in a wall to escape persecution. And he's currently in prison as he's writing this letter. And he's saying, I can't believe God would let me do this. What a gift. It's all come to me as grace. I can't believe the Lord would allow me to tell people about Jesus. And even as he's writing that letter, that's why he's in prison, not because he robbed somebody, right? He's in prison for telling people about Jesus. And he's reflecting on the fact, probably, that what he refers to himself as less than the least of all the saints is at one point he was literally traveling to other cities to imprison and to persecute the church. He wanted to put the whole church under his heel and stomp out the Jesus people movement in its early stages. But God arrested him on his way, knocked him off of his donkey. And called him to preach that same message. Come on, this is amazing. Paul was able to go through great suffering because of the exceedingly great treasure he had found in Jesus. Paul could say everything he once knew and held dear was garbage next to knowing Christ. Philippians 3, 7 through 14. George Whitfield once said of Paul, Never perhaps was a greater scholar in all of what the world calls fine learning than he For he was bred up at the feet of Gamaliel and profited in the knowledge of books as well as in the Jewish religion above many of his equals as appears by the language, rhetoric, and spirit of his writings. And yet, when he came to know what it was to be a Christian, he accounted all things but loss so that he might gain Christ. Paul could say that to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21. Paul could say that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, Romans 8.18. So we need to apprehend, this is what I want to talk to you about tonight. We need to lay hold of more of what Paul saw in Jesus. Like if we live in one of the most comfortable generations and comfortable nations on planet Earth, and we don't treasure Paul or treasure Jesus the way that Paul did sitting in a prison cell, there's something Paul saw in Jesus that we have not seen. There are riches that Paul knew in Christ 
that dominated his thinking and his very ambition for living. So he could say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know which is better. If I die, I go to be with Christ. But if I'm here, it's fruitful labor for the Lord. We need to see and lay hold of more of what Paul saw in Jesus so that we can live that type of life. Right? Paul says in verse 8, and this is really the main verse I want to focus on tonight. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Here's a couple of different ways uh, this phrase appears in various translations. In the New Living Translation, boundless riches of Christ is endless treasures. In the ESV, it's unsearchable riches. In the NASB, it's unfathomable riches. In the Amplified Bible, it's incomprehensible riches. That spiritual wealth, which no one can fully understand. In the CSB, it's incalculable riches. For those engineers in the room, you've got your engineer calculators. This is like when you get 1.0000 to the like infinite power, right? Break the screen. Blessings that cannot be measured from the CEV, from the Good News Translation. Never even heard of that. Infinite riches. <laughs> From Weymouth New Testament, also never heard of that, exhaustless wealth of Christ. All that to say, more than we've seen, more than we've laid hold of, unfathomable, infinite, inexhaustible, limitless riches in Jesus Christ. How many of us have tasted even 1% of all that's available in Christ? This is what Regan was talking about. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look continually to Jesus. There's more to see. There's more to lay hold of in Christ. The riches found in Christ are true riches. They are riches that do not fade. They do not grow dim. Only the riches found in Christ will last forever. When we see Christ rightly, we will regard him of infinitely greater worth than all the world has to offer. When we've truly laid hold of who Jesus is, we will rightly regard him as of infinitely greater worth than all this world has to offer. When Paul considered the grace that was given to him to tell others about the unsearchable riches of Christ, it humbled him. He's he's sitting in his prison cells, I said before, treasuring the revelation he's received of Christ and literally saying, I can't believe I get to do this, right? He's not like, man, I wish I could go back to the comfort. Man, I wish I could go back to my days as a Pharisee. Man, I I wish I could go back to when I had a reputation. I wish I could go back to when people greeted me in the marketplace. Like, what's up, Paul? So good to see you, teacher, right? And he's like, I can't believe I get to tell of the infinite, inexhaustible, limitless riches that are found in Christ Jesus. And I'd take the prison cell over that place any day because I know Jesus here. Right? Man. And he would say, man, what an honor. What a privilege to know Jesus. Okay? The beauty of God appointing Paul to this task is that Paul is a living demonstration of the very riches he is proclaiming. He is a type of trophy of God's grace and power to save and transform lives through Christ. Uh, In the context of Ephesians 3, the boundless riches of Christ that he's referring to are what Christ has accomplished and made available through his work of redemption. Okay, so my homework that I would give to you guys is go back and read Over and over and over again, Ephesians 1 and 2, you get these awesome poetic summaries of the gospel and the life that we once had before we were in Christ. And then all that God has purposed and accomplished in Christ. And that's what he's referring to as the riches of Christ. I want to say to you, man, don't ever get bored with the gospel. The gospel is not just the starting point. It's like, it's life. 
It's like everything that's true of you at the moment of coming into relationship with Jesus only grows and expands as we come into a greater revelation of who Jesus is and all that he's accomplished for us in the gospel. So in everything Paul's been writing about the first two chapters, um, through Christ, let's consider for just a second, we have a true and accurate knowledge of what God is like. Think about this. Imagine that you're an agnostic for a second. Maybe you are an agnostic. So you believe that there's a deity. You believe that there's some higher power. You look up at the night sky and you're like, well, of course, this isn't an accident, right? Like you hold a newborn baby or you've got an anatomy class or physiology and you're like, obviously, right? Like, come on. Clearly, you take, uh, you know, a genetic uh, a class on genetics and you look at the human strands of DNA and all the information that's contained. You're like, okay, I know there's a higher power, but I don't think he can be known, right? In Christ, we have a true and accurate knowledge of who God is. John 1.18 says that nobody has ever seen God except for the one and only Son who is in closest relationship with the Father and is himself God. He has made him known. Mm-hmm. Second Corinthians 4 says that the glory of God rests in the face of Jesus Christ. That when you look at Jesus, you get true and accurate knowledge about who God is. And God is the treasure, as Regan was talking about. Heaven is not heaven outside of God being there. What makes heaven heaven is not every pleasure taken to its maximum. Heaven is heaven because God is there, right? And, and we don't have to wonder how God feels about us. We don't have to wonder what God's character and nature is like. In Christ, we have a true and accurate knowledge of what God is like. And I want to say that's the ultimate treasure. That's the, this is eternal life, that they may know the one and only God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, right? This is eternal life, that we would know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Uh, We were once all far off and alienated from God. We were strangers, outsiders, and foreigners to his covenants. We were in the dark. We were dead in our sins. We were deserving of wrath. Okay? But through the blood of Jesus, this is in Ephesians 2, through the blood of Jesus, we have been brought near. Come on. I'm going to say each of these statements kind of slow. And just pause after the period so that hopefully you'll catch even one of them. And you could take each one of these little sound bites about the gospel. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing and summarizing things that come out of Ephesians 1 and 2. And maybe just one of them will hit your heart. You'll go, oh, wow. I kind of forgot he had done that. I forgot that was available to me in Christ. We have been made alive in Christ. We have access to God. You have 24-7 access to God. We can approach him with freedom and confidence. We can talk to God the way a man talks to a friend. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. We have been redeemed. That word redeemed means bought back. You were bought out of slavery. He paid your emancipation price so that you could live in freedom. Some people view just just this morning a pastor was talking about how for 21 years he was addicted to drugs and he was sitting in a prison cell and he had a praying grandmother and he was talking about how he never wanted to convert to Christianity because he was like, I'll just be leaving one prison for another. He thought it was all just rules and regulations and it was just going to be a boring type of existence. But when God encountered his heart, he realized, man, he was being brought out of prison and into freedom. You have been redeemed. You were redeemed with the blood of Jesus. It wasn't with silver and gold. It wasn't with the blood of rams, sheep, and goats. But it was with the blood of the one and only precious Son of God. That you were bought back from your slavery to sin and to death and to Satan. 
and brought into God's glorious kingdom and into freedom, true liberty. Come on. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. The even fact that you have an inheritance in God is ridiculous. Like, because you're His Son, everything He wants to get, give to His Son, Jesus, you get to share it as the bride of Christ. This is mind-blowing. And to, want to, to make sure that you understand that this is irrevocable, that He really wants to give this to you, He gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a deposit, as a guarantee. It's like, imagine that I have $100,000. I'm like, hey, I want to show to you that I'm not going to back out of buying this house. I'll take all my $100,000 moved from this bank account to your bank account so that you know I'm not going to pull out of this deal. I'm serious about buying this house. And God said, I'm going to take the third person of the Trinity, my very self, and boom, put it on you so that you know I'm serious about this adoption thing. I'm serious about your eternal inheritance. In and it's a guarantee of what is coming in the age to come. Together, we're being built together as a temple where God dwells by His Spirit. We have been shown heart-melting kindness through Christ. Like Paul, a hardened Pharisee, a blasphemer, a persecutor, had his heart melted by the kindness and the glory of Christ on the road to Damascus. He's the same guy who wrote the love passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Come on, this hardened Pharisee trying to stamp out the church would go on to say love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, right? He was arrested by the love of God, shining in the glory of Jesus Christ's face. Man, heart-melting kindness through Christ. That's why we say there's no heart that's too hard for Jesus. Come on, there's no campus that's too tough for Jesus. I don't care if they're a Satanist right now sitting in their dorm room doing seances. The kindness that is in the eyes of Jesus can melt the hardest heart. The human heart was made for an encounter with the living God. Come on, we say Gen Z is ripe for an encounter with Jesus. I know we can talk all day about the problems and how far they are. But we got to believe what Jesus said. Open your eyes. The harvest is plentiful. The fields are ripe for harvest. Come on, it's time to redefine how we look at people and look at people everywhere. I don't care what they look like in the natural and say, harvest, harvest, harvest. You're on track for a love encounter with God. We get what we don't deserve. That's, that's the purest definition of mercy. Getting what you don't deserve. Justice is you get exactly what you deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. Justice was paid at the cross so that you could receive mercy. Amen. This is good news. We have been shown mercy. Our debt is paid. Our sins are forgiven. Someone needs to hear that tonight. Your sins. If you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Come on, somebody struggling with shame and guilt, struggling to get into God's presence, you have access, you have freedom, you can approach Him with confidence. Your sins are forgiven. Removed as far as the east is from the west, cast into a sea of forgetfulness. God's not like keeping it in His back pocket so someday He can go... Boom! You thought I forgot. Yeah, right. It's like I've chosen to remove it. 
So that when I look at you, I can see the perfect righteousness of my son. He loves us with a love that is infinite, constant, and surpasses knowledge. And all of this is a gift. Unmerited, undeserved favor, that's grace. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And there's nothing you could ever do to earn it or to add to it. It's all a gift. So that nobody can boast in the presence of God. No one's going to show up and say, God, you owe me. Right? It, we're all going to fall down on our faces and say, oh my goodness. I've just bent over by the, the goodness and the kindness and the mercy that you've shown me. And he purposed this plan of redemption in Christ before the world began. That's what Ephesians 1 says. In love, he predestined us before the foundations of the earth. It's called the eternal covenant of redemption. That The members of the Trinity were drawing out the plans of our redemption before the fall of humanity. Before we ever <laughs> sinned in the garden, they were already planning the cross. Oh, it's mind-blowing. Before you ever went down your prodigal road, God's already out there carving your path back home. He purposed your salvation before you ever wandered away and went your own way. In verse 10, this is a crazy verse. This, is, this verse is so crazy. You've probably never really seen this verse in the Bible before. His intent was that now, through the church, if you're in Christ, you're part of the church. This is not like just through elevation or through new song or refuge or king's people, whatever. Through the church, through, through the body of Christ, the corporate global body of Christ. Those who are redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Sinners who have now been purified through the blood of Jesus. Those who have been brought to God through Christ. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The rulers and authorities in heavenly realms are angelic beings, both like serving God and demonic. And here's what he's saying. The church has become like a school for the angels. When they want to learn about God's redemptive purposes, they look at you and me. Pick these creatures who have seen, like, beholding the glory of God for millennia. When they want to learn about God's grace, they peer into the church. When they want to learn about how God worked out his manifold wisdom... In time and space, through Jesus Christ, they look at real redemption happening in people's lives. When they want to learn about the movement of God's heart in grace and showing mercy to sinners, they use you as their subject lesson. Imagine it this way. It's like a new class has opened up at the university. And let's, we'll just use somebody who's popular in, in just like society right now or culture. Jordan Peterson. It's like Jordan Peterson is coming to UNC Charlotte. He's going to teach... Uh, classes on human personality and social ethics, whatever, like insert whatever people are into. And hey, there's only a hundred seats. And like immediately everybody's getting on your thing to like register for classes and the class is filling up in like 10 seconds and there's a wait list for it. Now I want you to imagine it's like, man, you're in heaven and you're an angel. And they're like, man, the class on human redemption has opened up. If you want to get a, a, a more full glimpse of the glory of God and how it's worked its way out, Go look at those people. And, and like the angels are looking at Paul and they're like, whoa. We knew he was good, but wow. <laughs> like, 
They look at Landon. You know, that's like Landon's been bold in sharing his testimony and how God arrested him while he was on a weekend doing not great stuff with his buddies. And the fear of the Lord came on all of them. And they're like, whoa. Landon wasn't even looking for God. God came looking for Landon. Come on. Mm -hmm. Right. They look at the church and God's work of redemption through Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, the purest revelation we have of God's glory is the cross of Jesus Christ. You want to see his heart on full display. Look at God revealed in the cross. And when the angels want to see God's manifold wisdom, they look at what God is doing through the church. This is ridiculous. This is unbelievable. This is, first, uh, Peter talks about this as well. First Peter 1, 10 through 12 says, concerning this salvation, the prophets. So this is Isaiah. This is Jeremiah. This is Moses. This is uh, Ezekiel, this is Daniel, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Wow. It's like... They're up, I don't know where they have been spatially is, but they're like, oh. <laughs> they're like, oh my, whoa, look at that. Wow. And some of us are bored with the gospel. Oh, bro. So, so, some preachers, oh, forgive me, I'm not trying to judge, and I'm not trying to, some preachers like, Think that if they preach the gospel like multiple times and just the simple gospel multiple times, you'd have some fresh revelation to impress people with. It wouldn't be sufficient. It's like, whoa, a true and accurate knowledge of God revealed in the gospels. Whoa, the saving of souls. Those who were in darkness brought near to God. The unrighteous made righteous through the blood of, of God's son. This is not boring. This is a mystery to behold. Let's just stop being bored with the gospel. Let, let's stop thinking that it's just ordinary that God saved us. That, that we just prayed a prayer because we decided now, okay, I'm done with it. I'll go. Yeah, I think right, I'll right. give you a try, Jesus. Right. No, God in his grace, when you were utterly unworthy, plucked you from the world and yeah. brought you into his glorious yeah. kingdom. And you may not be aware, I'm not saying you're not saved, but wake up to the mystery yeah. of what God is actually performing in your life. Yeah. He's put the third person to train. Boom, smack dab in the middle of your chest so that you could know him. Oh, bro. Oh, yeah. Whoa. And we thought, okay, I prayed the prayer. Or I, got, I feel a little bit better about myself. And now I'm going to start attending church. Where's more than that? Yeah. It's Paul sitting in a prison cell saying, I can't believe I get to do this. And I want to say, they have no idea what God has already performed for them. Yeah. They have no idea that God is knowable. That, that he's searching them out, that, that he loves them, that he wants a relationship with them. He wants to be so close, he's going to fill them with his Holy Spirit. But how will they know unless they're here? And how will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? And how will anybody preach unless they're sent? John 20, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. There's your commissioning. Yeah. You've been sent with the greatest news. Paul said, 
I consider it a gift by the grace of God and his power working within me. This ministry I have to tell of the unsearchable, incalculable, inexhaustible, limitless, infinite, unfathomable, boundless riches that are available in Christ Jesus. Whoa. That's awesome. Here's the thing. Our appreciation and love for Christ will be directly related to our understanding of who he is and what he's done for us. Who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus told a parable in Luke 7, 36 through 50. He's sitting at a Pharisee's house. I'm not going to read the whole parable. I'll just summarize it. He's sitting at a Pharisee's house and a notorious sinner. He just calls her a notorious sinner comes up and breaks this expensive jar, this alabaster jar of perfume at his feet and begins wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. She takes the most beautiful, dignified thing of her, her hair is like the crown of her glory, and starts wiping the dirtiest part of Jesus with it. And the Pharisee says, if you knew who was touching you, man, basically if you're a prophet, you would know exactly what type of woman this is and you wouldn't let her touch you. And Jesus says, I have something to say to you. Imagine that two men owe a debt. And, and he just makes it ridiculous. It's like one is so incalculable. You could never pay it back in this lifetime. And <clears throat> the guy's going to be in prison until he can pay the debt back. And because he can't pay it back in this lifetime, he's never getting out of prison. And, and the other guy owes this tiny little debt. And, and Jesus says, which one of you, if both of them are forgiven their debt, which one do you think is going to love more? And, and the Pharisee's like, well, probably the guy who's forgiven the, the bigger debt. And he says, you've answered correctly. He who is forgiven much loves much. You've, I don't care if you grew up in church and you never did crazy stuff. You've been forgiven much, much more than you realize. And we need the Lord to open up our eyes and make us realize what he's actually done in our lives and who it is that's actually performed it. Right? J.D. Greer said this, the gospel is not just the diving board off which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. It's not only the way we begin in Christ, it's the way we grow in Christ. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but it is the A to Z. All of the Christian life flows from the good news of what Jesus has done. So I want to ask you tonight, one, have you gotten in the pool? Right? Like that would be the most important question. You're hearing me talk about Jesus tonight. And you're like, I don't know this Jesus. I've heard things about Jesus. It's kind of like imagine I've heard about the ocean. I've seen pictures of the ocean. My friends post pictures on Instagram of going to the ocean. I've never been to the ocean. There's a huge difference between seeing pictures of the ocean, hearing about the ocean, looking at travel brochures about the ocean, and actually standing with your toes in the sand and hearing the sound of the waves and feeling the ocean breeze, right? Yeah. There's a difference between knowing things about Jesus, which you may have done for your entire life, going to church Sunday after Sunday because your parents are dragging you here. Maybe you've just continued that tradition in your life and you've heard some things about Jesus and you've maybe even studied some things about Jesus, but you've never experienced Jesus. You've never felt that ocean breeze on your faith, face, the sand in your toes and dived in the water and got salt water, right? Like... Have you personally gotten in the pool, which is the gospel? Have you personally encountered and received what Christ has done for you personally? I ask people this question, another way to phrase this. Often when we're out doing evangelism, we live in the cultural south, the Bible Belt. So a lot of people just assume, well, yeah, what do you think I am, a heretic? I'm a Christian. And I say in so many words, what does that mean to you? Like, 
And finish this sentence for me. I have right standing with God or I'm in right relationship with God because dot, dot, dot. And I've heard a scary number of times people complete that sentence listing nothing about Jesus and nothing about the cross. Well, I try. I'm a mostly good person. You know, I, I, I try to just keep my conscience. Oh, you know, I haven't done anything crazy. I, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And insert whatever. But they don't even mention the name of Jesus and there's nothing about the cross. There's only one right answer to that question. It is by grace that you have been saved and not by works so that nobody can boast. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who saves you through his atoning sacrifice on the cross and through his victory in the resurrection. And by repenting of your sins, believing in what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, which means receiving it, and then confessing him as Lord and living out the consequences of that confession that you are saved. I want to ask you tonight, do you know things about Jesus? Have you seen pictures of Jesus, but yet never experienced Christ, never known the saving work of Jesus, ever had the weight of all your sins and transgressions lifted off of your shoulders and known that if I die tonight, I will go to be in God's immediate presence, not based on my performance, but because Jesus' perfect performance and his death in my place. Do you know that personally? Do you have that peace living in your heart? I'm right with God. Not because I'm good, I'm I'm bad, but because Christ is good and he took my place. Do you know that you know that you know that you know that? If tonight, I want to encourage you, let tonight be that night. And then the second group of people, I want to ask you, maybe you began in Christ. You viewed him as like the diving board. You were at a youth camp, you know, maybe it was even last semester for you. And it's like Christ was the starting point, but you just imagine that he brought you into a bunch of other religious mumbo jumbo, Right? Christ is the goal in all of it. Why do we pray to, to, to know him? Why do we study the scriptures to, to know him, right? It's like, why, why do we like, do fellowship, man, to encounter him in our midst and to love people like God is in our midst? It's like Christ is the reason for all of it. We didn't just start in this diving board and jump into some other pool. Jesus is the pool. Yeah. And I want to like, encourage you to keep Christ, what Regan was talking about, the main thing. We don't graduate from Jesus. He's our eternal fascination. Like, I'm not making you question whether you're saved or not. But it's like, man, maybe at the beginning of this year, I don't know what kind of resolutions you have going on. And I'm sure they're all good. And I don't want to discourage you from getting fit and, and eating right and waking up earlier. What a, awesome. But I want to say make Jesus and his face and his glory your primary focus. Because if you knew everything, but you didn't know Christ and you know nothing. If you had all riches, but you didn't have Christ, you're, you're poor. Paul says to the church in Laodicea, he's like, I know that you say that you're rich and you have need of nothing, but I say you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And he's like, so often what we see and how we esteem things is not the same as what the Lord is seeing with his spiritual eyes. And he's saying, you want to have true riches to the rich young ruler. Sell everything and get yeah. Jesus, Right. I think about when I'm walking off campus sometimes after events, I was like, man, uh, imagine the, the perfect scenario in a kid's mind. He's got his 10-year plan, whatever, and he's like, I'm going to graduate with this degree. I'm going to work for my dream company. I'm going to make you know, six figures or, or more, seven figures. I'm going to buy this house in South Park, and I'm going to have this life. And he leaves, and he gets all of it. He gets the wife of his dreams as perfect number of kids and the white picket fence, but he doesn't know Jesus. It's a, a total loss. Yeah. Like, a total loss. It means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Jesus says, what, if, what do you profit if you gain the whole world but you forfeit your soul? 
But you can have an inheritance that will never fade, that will never dim, that no man or no amount of suffering can ever take from you in Christ Jesus. It's as secure as his place at the right hand of the Father until he returns in glory. Come on. And he's as serious about it as giving you his very own spirit. This is amazing. So I just want to encourage you, man. There's more in Jesus than we've seen. There's more than we've laid hold of. And it's a lifetime pursuit of saying, I want to make Jesus my primary ambition. And I want to, as I lay hold of treasures in him, make them known to the world around me. Amen. Amen. So let me pray for you guys. And yeah, while I'm praying, we'll figure out where we're going to go. Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name for saving us. Thank you for the simple joy of salvation. Scripture says, I was once your enemy. I was once in darkness. I was once deaf and blind and dead in my sins, deserving of wrath. I was without a hope and without a future. I stood condemned before you. The stain of my sin was apparent in your sight, and I could do nothing to scrub it off or remove it. All my good works were as filthy rags in your presence. But you loved us in eternity past. Before you even created us. You saw all our days and you purposed in Christ to send your son. To take on our humanity. To live the life we could not live. To die the death that we all deserved. So that we could know you. So that we could be restored, bought back, made new, made whole, healed from the inside out. So that we could actually see. So that we could know intimacy with you. Thank you. We just say thank you. Thank you. Come on. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, we just say thank you. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We just say thank you. It's all a gift. Thank you. Come on. You probably got some gifts for Christmas. It doesn't compare. Hopefully you said thank you to your mom or dad or grandma. Like we say, thank you, Father God. Thank you. Thank you. If you've never received that gift before, I want you to know it's available to you. You don't have to work something up within yourself. It's something God longs to give to you. And if you're in this place tonight, and tonight marks the first night, you say, I've heard things about Jesus, but I've never known him. I'm not sure if I were to die tonight that I would go to be with the Lord But I want to have that assurance. I want to have that peace in my heart. I want you to slip your hand up right now so somebody can pray with you before the night's over. If that's you tonight, 
and you're not sure that you know, but you want to know, I want you to slip your hand up so one of our leaders can pray with you. And if you're in Christ and you've known him for some time, I want to say there's more riches to lay hold of in him. There's more beauty to see in him. More glory to behold. And just resolving your heart right now, that resolution, resolving your heart right now to make Christ your primary aim, your main focus. To say, I'm going to set my mind and set my heart's affections to seek your face in this new year. Just as we're sitting in this place before we just worship for a moment, you know, right after verse 12, Paul goes into one of his famous prayers. And it's like he gives us a glimpse of what are one of those riches in Christ that he's been talking about. And he says, I I pray for you constantly that the Lord would strengthen you in your inner being through the power of his spirit so that Christ may fully dwell in your heart. He's got to pray for them to have special strength just to be able to receive and grasp what he's about to talk about. That together with all God's people, you may have power to grasp or might to be able to grasp what is the height and the depth, the width and the length of his love, though it surpasses understanding, that you may be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Wow. He's saying, I'm praying that you would be strong enough to be able to realize how much God loves you. That you would have something in your spirit that would be able to just scratch the surface of how much God loves you. And that's just one of the many riches that are available in Christ. It's an eternal, infinite love that will never run out, that will never run dry. It's a bottomless ocean. You could never uh, measure out the, the width or the expanse of this ocean of God's love that you will experience throughout all of eternity. That's part of the riches that are available in Christ. Wow. Thank you for your love, Father. Make that love real to our hearts. That we may know what is the hope of our calling. The riches of your inheritance in your holy people. And the power of your resurrection. Yeah, Josh, just lead us as you just feel led and you want to stand up or sit down we're just going to finish with some worship and then we'll close out the night thank him for his blood thank him for his blood
I have just running through my head is plumb the depths and scale the heights. Like let your resolve this year to be, I'm going to plumb the depths of the riches of God revealed in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to try to scale the heights and I'm going to go as deep as I can into the love of God. I mean, I'm going to try to scale as high as I can in God, though I'll never reach the end. There's a quote from uh, George Whitfield, who was part of the first great awakening that just had me in tears the other day he said if I had a thousand bodies like a thousand other lives that I could live they would all be traveling and preaching for Christ and he would traveled relentlessly I mean he covered I think like hundreds of thousands of miles on horseback to preach the gospel in the open field with no microphones so this is not the idea of like today's modern itinerant minister jumping on jets and flying to place to place he's like man if I could live a thousand lives they would all be spent doing one thing telling people about Jesus and what made me weep about it is I think that if I'm being honest, I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this life to like follow you, Jesus. <laughs> like a thousand other ones, probably a few of them would be dabbling in some other stuff. You know, he's like, man, a thousand lives to give all for Christ. Like there's what else? This is what Paul's getting at. He's like I'm sitting in this prison cell. He's like, I can't believe I get to do this. Right. But you don't have a thousand lives. You only have, and this is one that really hit me. I don't have a thousand lives to live. I don't have a thousand bodies. I have one body and one life on earth. And I have to choose what I'm going to spend it on. And if the resolve would be that if I had a thousand of them, I'd give them for Christ, then the resolve should certainly be, but I have one and I'll spend it for you, Jesus. Because you're of infinitely greater worth than all this world has to offer. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Not every person is called to be a pastor and a traveling evangelist, whatever. What I'm saying is your life, your interests, your heart's desires wrapped up and absorbed in the man Jesus Christ, which will spill over into whatever you do. Stay-at-home mom, dad, teacher, coach, whatever. Be a person consumed with Christ. As I have but one life to live and I'm going to give it for Jesus Christ. Man, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll end with this. Today is the anniversary of a famous missionary and martyr, Jim Elliott, dying on the beaches in Ecuador. He had spent years preparing to reach uh, a tribal people who had never heard the name of Jesus before. And on his first contact with them, he was speared to death. First contact, he's speared to death. His wife and his son, would, Elizabeth Elliot, would go back to preach the gospel to those same people like the entire tribe got saved. He was famous for saying he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. The world would look at Jim Elliott and say, what a fool, man. Heaven was looking at him and like, man, he saw it. He saw something in Christ that was worth more than all of it. And his wife with tremendous boldness 
after her husband dies, is like, oh, I've seen what he's seen. We'll go risk it all. Come on, bro. And he, imagine being Jim Elliott and the first time he met one of those tribesmen in the great cloud of witnesses. And he knew that the blood he spilled for the gospel was not waste, but it was adding to Christ's eternal glory. Jesus, may you help us. Here's the prayer. I don't want anyone to feel guilty. I'm sitting over there and I always immediately start reviewing things I've said. Like, wow, you said that really harsh. And somebody who's feeling a little dry in their walk is going to feel like judged. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to just awaken in you. There's so much more to see in Jesus. If you're bored right now, don't feel judged. Just feel awakened to the possibility of seeing more in Jesus. And that Christianity is not boring. It's infinitely fascinating because Jesus is infinitely fascinating. That's what I was trying to get at. Not making you feel bad, okay? I always have to say that because I don't want you to receive it in the wrong spirit. But Lord, would you open our eyes to see more of Jesus and to lay hold of what Paul and Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott and the faithful witnesses who have gone before us have seen in Jesus. Treasures, infinite worth, greater than anything this world can offer us. May as we sang earlier become true of our hearts, now I can see that your love is better. I pray for an awakening at the beginning of this semester in our hearts to the boundless riches that are available in Christ Jesus. We say we love you, Jesus. We love you. Our affections are weak. Our minds are so distracted, but we do love you. And we love because you first loved us and we want to love you more. Would you give us strength and grace to do that? Give us the gift of seeing you more in this year. Yeah, we say thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.